The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm Dave Cornway, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are recording this episode on September 26th, 2021, and I'm joined as always by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hey, Adam. Hi, Dave. How's it going? I am excited that it's fall. It's beautiful outside. The leaves are falling. And who knows, other things may fall yet too in, in the Alberta landscape. Yes, absolutely. There's, lo- there's a lot falling in Alberta right now. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that today with our, uh, our special guest. Uh, I'd like to welcome Brad LaFortune back to the Dave Alberta podcast. Um, uh, Brad, uh, for, for loyal longtime listeners, Brad, uh, you might recognize Brad. And remember, he joined us, I think, back in 2019. In one of our post-provincial uh, election episodes, Brad joined us to talk about the uh, the fallout from that. Um, uh, welcome to the podcast, Brad. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to be back. Yeah, that was a good conversation, and uh, I am happy to be here today. There's a lot of exciting things going on in Alberta, so looking forward to the discussion for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- yeah. yeah. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Um, can you tell our listeners who may not know you tell uh, tell us uh, a little mm-hmm. bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So. Uh, uh, my name is, is Brad. Uh, I work at an organization uh, called Public Interest Alberta, uh, and I've been there for about six months as the new ED. It's a nonprofit advocacy organization, uh, nonpartisan, and we focus on everything from uh, early learning and child care to seniors care in the name of the public interest. So we're trying to preserve and strengthen public services and public spaces uh, and mobilize and educate our members and the public to get involved and engage in politics. So uh, it's a really exciting time, obviously, to be doing our work. And that's what I do for a day job. Um, other than that, I'm just a, kind of a regular guy. I live in Edmonton with my daughter. Um, and, um, you know, I'm just suffering through uh, the Kenny rain like the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, it, um, in, in, can you tell us a little bit about some of the work that that uh, that you're doing in public interest, Alberta? Um, one of the things that comes to mind immediately is is the work on child care, affordable child care. Yeah, definitely happy to. Um, we've got a few different campaigns. We have seven priority areas, but one of our big ones right now is early learning and child care. For the past six months since I came on board, we got our task force together and said, you know, what is our, you know, kind of story of now. Um, and what is our opportunity, you know, ahead of us, given the federal budget that came out in March, right? So we've got like, you know, $30 billion close to on the table um, for the provinces to engage with the federal government on framework agreements to get real system building on the ground for childcare. So we've been focusing on that for the last six months. And part of our work sort of in um, in kind of concert, in, in cooperation with groups like the Mutark uh, foundation um, and AC um, and the Early uh, Childhood Educators Association um, and Child Care Now Alberta is to say like, well, what can we do for advocacy? And so what we've been trying to do is really talk to parents, workers, um, and other family members who uh, you know have direct experience with child care and how um, how challenging it can be to find it. And when you do find it, that it can be you know basically breaking the bank. And so we've been really kind of like getting parents and families and workers to tell their own story as much as possible and send that along to, you know, decision makers in the province and the federal government and try to make the case that like what we have currently in Alberta is not a system. It's a patchwork and it's far too expensive and it doesn't really meet the criteria that we have for, you know, 
quality and accessibility, especially in like remote and small communities. Um, and so we've really been focused on childcare. That's a big one. The other campaign that we've really tried to sort of, um, you know, re-kickstart um, lately is um, national long-term care standards, which is really important um, here in Alberta, especially, you know, given our provincial government's kind of approach to seniors care and the continuum of care um, in, you know, uh, you know, not just seniors, but especially seniors. Um, and, uh, and so we've been working on that as well. Um, but childcare has been a major focus for us. And it's pretty exciting to see, um, you know, how much traction there is on the ground um, for, for system building. And it's pretty critical. I mean, we've been talking about this in Alberta and Canada for what, more than 30 years now. Um, like my mom used to work in the sector in Saskatchewan, be up in LaRange and Northern remote communities talking about the importance of childcare and, you know, Ken Dryden and, you know, back in the day with like liberals kind of being like, we're finally going to do it. And then, you know, for different reasons, it just didn't happen. So it's pretty exciting to be working on this file and I'm feeling pretty good about it. So yeah. It's good. Yeah. Good. So, so childcare was one of the, I mean, it was one of the issues that, Right. I don't know if they even really talked about it. They talked a bit about it during the election, but really before the federal election, the federal liberals, you know, it was the next the next round of, yay, we're actually we're actually going to do it. But it seemed like they actually signed. I mean, they actually signed agreements with a number of provincial governments for ten dollar a day child care, which is huge. Um, but they didn't come to the same arrangement with the Alberta government. So you can, can you kind of explain like where the Alberta government is when it comes to dealing with the federal government and child care? Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a really good point. So I think we have seven provinces and one territory who had signed on before the federal election was called. Mm -hmm. um, and by signed on, they had like at least a high level framework agreement, agreeing to the sort of, you know, qualifications that the federal government had set out. So reducing fees by a certain amount by 2022 um, and getting to $10 a day childcare um, for a certain number of the spaces by 2026. Um, and you know, it was from BC to Nova Scotia. Um, so seven provinces and one territory. Alberta um, is not there yet. Um, so what happened the day after the, the, the budget as you know, and Dave, I know you watch this stuff really closely, but you know, for some folks who didn't hear, can you say this one? Um, he basically said, we don't want a cookie cutter approach for childcare. Um, and, you know, before even reading the details of the budget, probably just, you know, that came out of his mouth, which is super frustrating for advocates. Um, you know, I'm speaking for myself here, not everyone in the sector, obviously, but um, there were a lot of conversations when that came out saying like, well, we just have to redouble our efforts because this is not, it's not accurate. They're, they're kind of mischaracterizing the opportunity here. And, you know, we could have, you know, billions of dollars over the next few years to build a system. Um, and there's no reason to leave it on the table. Um, and so, Currently, the minister has expressed interest in continuing to work with the federal government prior to the federal election and said, you know, the reason why we were slow getting to the table is because we just received the term sheet um, with sort of, you know, the, the starting kind of proposal. Um, we didn't get it as soon as other provinces did. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if that's true. I don't work in her office, obviously, but, you know, seven other provinces managed to get a framework agreement before the federal election. So, who knows, but they have expressed interest in working with the feds, but at the same time, they're saying things like we want to maintain choice, flexibility. Uh, we want to support parents with the, um, uh, with the direct subsidy to, to parents, 
but increasing the threshold, which is very different, sort of like maintaining that kind of like marketized version of childcare, which Alberta has had for a long time, rather than what the Liberals wanted to do and the NDs as well in the election, what they were proposing, which is um, really building out a public system that is, you know, universally accessible to to all families who who need it. And so I, I don't know if that answers your question. I could go on for a long time, but basically, you know, we're feeling um, cautiously um motivated i wouldn't say optimistic about our chances of getting the federal government or the provincial government there because kenny's just been so dug in the past and they're really committed to this sort of current system of of you know really just sort of giving basically coupons or vouchers to parents but we're going to keep trying right Mm -hmm. i mean hopefully it becomes an inevitability if we have seven provinces in one territory and you know ontario's you know ford has said positive things about this uh, manitoba and saskatchewan are there those are two other conservative governments hopefully it gets to the point where it's like there's just no choice right mm-hmm. everybody everybody's doing it you have to do it even if they're the last of the party at least they'll be there that's kind of our hope so, yeah we'll see <laughs> we'll see so we're continuing to to advocate um and uh you know talking to a lot of a lot of people in the sector uh we're developing a policy framework with um policy roadmap with uh, uh, a guy named christopher smith from the mutart foundation and a whole other bunch of other uh organizations um and it's it's kind of i don't know what you think dave but like it's kind of the first time that i've since i've been paying attention that it seems like child care you're right it was quieter than maybe a lot of advocates and parents like you and me wanted to see but it was the first time that i can remember where it was like really on the radar maybe since mm-hmm. like the early 2000s so you know and the liberals now with the minority are you know back there and um so we're feeling we're feeling like there's still an opportunity there we just really need to keep advocating very very hard for it so Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was definitely one of the the flagship pieces of the of the liberal campaign. At least their pre campaign, you know, in the build up to the election, it was building up. You know, it's every week they'd sign a, they'd announce a new arrangement. You know, and they'd announce something with John Horgan, or they'd announce something with whoever the premier of Manitoba on any given day on any given day is, or and and uh, and Nova Scotia and, and the territory and one of the territories and whatnot. So that's that's going to be interesting to see how that how that all plays out. And I think there, will, I think you're right. I think there will be. Um, considerable pressure on Alberta to, I don't want to say conform because I don't think conform is the right word, but I think just, just provide, uh, uh, the same kind of university universality as, uh, as is going to be provided in quite possibly or probably the majority of Canada or the yeah, rest definitely. of Canada. <laughs> definitely. If I could just say one, like, one more thing or a couple more things on childcare too. For sure, it's, like, yeah. it's not just about, it's not just about affordability. Like our campaign at public interest Alberta was like, we want 10 a day childcare now. And that was kind of, you know, that's like the, whatever the flashing lights and that's kind of the slogan about it but just just as important or like alongside it needs to be the 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 quality piece right so we're talking a lot about sort of you know the professionalization of the sector for workers um we know that now and this is this has kind of become like sort of a you know an obvious statement that all of us talk about if we're paying attention to our you know, our own kids, childcare, or if we're, you know, at all interested in early learning and childcare is like the early years are so important to development, um, you know, in terms of educational attainment, um, social development, um, you name it. It's, it's absolutely critical that kids are getting the kind of care that they, that they need to be able to develop in a way that will give them the best chance of success. And so quality is really important too. And that comes down to sort of, you know, certification in the sector for workers and ongoing education um and workplace standards as well um and 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 you know starting at the most obvious point like compensation in the sector is not what we feel is 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 um 
you know, fair or adequate for workers in the sector who are providing like a really important service mm-hmm. when it comes to not just care, but also like education for, for, for young kids. And so we're focused on that aspect as, as well as just sort of, you know, bringing costs down um, so that workers, you know, will, um, will hopefully stay in the sector longer and be compensated while they're there in a way that they deserve. So that's, that's really critical too. And I think we're just starting to talk about that a little bit more as a, as a sort of like, you know, network of advocates, which is, which is exciting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, per, like my kind of my personal personal story. Um, as a father of two kids, and one who's now in the school system, and one who's too young to go into the uh, into the childcare system yet. Um, like when we put my first son in, uh, when, when we were looking around when my wife was done her mat leave, and uh, and we were looking around for for different childcare options. Like it really was a patchwork, and you know, like we went and looked at daycares and we let the childcare centers and like as, as a new parent, it was just such like a, I mean, number one, it was hard to find a space at first. Um, but then, it, but, but you didn't know, it seemed totally inconsistent. Like, I mean, they all seemed okay. And that, you know, the people who ran the, who ran, ran the facilities and ran the businesses, they all seemed great. And they seemed like they were, you know, in it for the right reasons. And, but, but it was like, as a parent, it, like I had no, there, there was, you know, some of them were accredited and some of them weren't. And, you know, you kind of, you kind of just had to go with it. And we, we, we really lucked out. We found a, uh, uh, a day home in our neighborhood um, uh, with, uh, with someone who was just fantastic. And, and the, that family remains really, really good friends with us um, since. Um, so we, we, I feel like we lucked out, but I think for, you know, for a lot of parents, if you're, and if you're not able to find that, like something within your community, it can be a real struggle, not just, not just financially, um, though the financial, you know, for a lot of people, it is a big financial struggle, but also just like the accessibility and, and knowing, knowing who to trust and, you know, cause it, cause it is a real, it is a real patchwork. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, hopefully, hopefully we'll see some movement on that um, in the, uh, in the, in the near, near future federally and, uh, and here in, here in Alberta, um, especially after the last, after the, uh, the federal election on uh, the previous last Monday, last Monday, <laughs> it feels like an eternity since then. So where, where were you on election night, Brad? I was in the north side of Edmonton, um, counting votes for uh, Blake Desjardins campaign um, in a in a school gym um, or community league gym. Anyway, like 134th Ave and 140th Street or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. Um, so I was there, and then I drove home uh, quickly as possible to like watch the results come in at home. They had like a Zoom party for that local campaign, but obviously people weren't getting together in person, so. Um, yeah. And then I just watched the results, um, as late as I could and then crashed. But yeah, that's, I was counting vote for Blake Desjardins campaign. So, and, and how did that uh, go? How did, how, how did that campaign go? how did that race go? Well, I would say like <laughs> people are feeling pretty good about it. Um, so he's, he's, you know, obviously I think everybody in the country now knows that he's the new, uh, MP elect for, for Edmonton Griesbaugh. And what I really loved about the campaign is like, it kind of brought together like, progressives from like it seemed like across the city maybe the Mm -hmm. province like Mm -hmm. i wasn't doing a ton like i you know i keep busy with pia stuff obviously during the day but i was pulling vote in the advance and then counting on e-day and so i I volunteered for maybe like you know 10 hours on the campaign but wanted to do a little bit but um uh, you know like you just saw like pictures of like the 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 door knocking blitzes that seem to be happening like a couple times a week of like 20 or 30 or 40 um you know volunteers and even interestingly i'm sure that you'd notice this as well like the provincial caucus got engaged mm-hmm. in a way that was maybe a little bit interesting, maybe surprising to a couple people. So um, it felt good throughout. 
but also you know like Carrie Diot seems to have I'm not sure if it's nine lives but like you know he's he's come close to losing a few times yeah. and yeah. hasn't so it was also a nail biter right um, yeah. that 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 writing is very you know it has pretty entrenched sort of you know voting habits but um it felt good throughout and obviously a really awesome result and all kudos to to Blake Desjardins he's just a fantastic person and um you know uh, wonderful energy and I think he's going to do awesome things in Ottawa and at home as a local MP and then also I just want to mention to you before we get into it like that's a that's a multi election like we call it a strategy but basically like people digging in for multiple elections on the EDA and the local constituency association I mean like you know your hood is in is in Greece boss so mm-hmm. like people are showing up to meetings like you know for, there, there, for there years were, there, yeah there were there were a lot of orange signs in my neighborhood I live in and like yeah, there were a lot of orange signs. There were a few conservative signs and a few liberal signs. But I even noticed that the houses that had, in the 2019 election, the houses that had conservative signs last time, like a lot of them didn't. They just had no signs. So I don't know what, like, I mean, I, I have to say, just, just for transparency uh, for our listeners, it is the official editorial policy of the Dayberta podcast that we are thrilled uh, we are, uh, you know, beyond thrilled beyond the moon that Kerry Diot lost the election because we think he was an absolute <laughs> horrible M- MP. And I wouldn't say that about uh, about many people. And there are conservative MPs in the city who who I like personally and who I think, you know, do a good job representing their constituents. We like, uh, I like Mike Lake. I like Matt Jenneru. Um, I think they're good guys and they, and they, they work hard. Um, I didn't think the same of Kerry Diot and having him being my, you know, my MP f- for six years, uh, you know, you could really see how... Uh, you know the 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 uh, the quality of MP you were getting over those six years. So we are we are thrilled that uh, that Carrie Diot lost, and uh, and we wish to officially congratulate Blake Dejala on, on on being on being elected. No, it was a thrill. It was it was really it was a really interesting, um, uh, really interesting night, and uh, it kind of, you know, he took a lead. Uh, Dejala took the lead really early on, and it kind of. It didn't really seesaw, but the the margin kind of grew and shrunk over the course of the night as the polls were coming in. It was, you know, one minute it was a thousand vote margin, and then it was down to four hundred votes. And you know, mm-hmm. so it was it was it was a bit of a nail biter. And because of the way Elections Canada reports the poll reports the election results, they don't release the poll by poll results. So like mm-hmm. in a riding like Greasebaugh, where you know the south half of the riding is much more orange, and the north half of the riding is traditionally much more blue. It's uh, you know if you don't know where the net, where the polls are being reported from, it's kind of hard to follow because you don't know whether there's you know if the if the conservative candidate is a hundred votes ahead, you don't know if there's a big orange poll that's going to be that has yet to be reported. So, um, it, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I have to say, Dave, like very diplomatic um, sort of assessment of Kerry Diot's time in office. That was uh, very <laughs> well done. I I would say something similar, but not as careful as you. But I'll leave that. Um, just very happy to see. And like it was. Um, I got so excited so early on. I think I tweeted like at like you know like eight o'clock or something. I was like, Blake, you're doing it! And then <laughs> I got I got a couple calls from the E Day uh, organizers being like, "Knock on wood, right now, or please delete that tweet." But you're right. Like you never know where the polls are coming from. And it was you know it was it was it was close despite the fact that he had obviously you know one of the strongest campaigns I think um, you know definitely in Alberta maybe mm-hmm. even, you know across the country as far as I can tell because there's other ones that were super close like Davenport Halifax. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vancouver, I think Grand Granville and a couple others. Yeah. So, but this one, you know, you get out. Um, really exciting stuff. And then, like, I remember, like, just talking to a few friends and who you know have been involved with the the NDs federally for a while. And I was like, well, I live in I live in Ritchie, so like, you know, should I? You know, I want to get involved with my local candidate um and i uh, definitely want to see us like hang on to that seat make sure it doesn't go conservative here that's edmonton strathcona 
Thank you. Yes, Strathcona, yeah. Edmonton, Strathcona, which which, which which is now the strongest NDP seat in the country. This is the thing. I remember four months ago talking to some of her staff, being like, "Hey, Brad, if you do want to get involved, like, um, go to go to Greasebaugh or go somewhere else." But you know, think about Greasebaugh basically. And I was like, "But like, you know, Heather is a new MP. Like, definitely, mm-hmm. like Linda Duncan was there before. But like, are you sure you're feeling?" I, I just was. I was a little bit skeptical. No offense to Gail Davy or anybody else in that office, but I mean, did they get? They got north of sixty percent of the vote. I think right? I got sixty-one percent, which is huge. Which even even when Linda Linda Duncan was MP, uh, she never got that. I don't think she ever. I don't think she ever got above sixty percent. I don't think so. So I don't think so. And you know, uh, testament to all the work that Heather's been doing as a local MP, I, I guess, and also the Kenny effect, which you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure that had something to do. I think to forget with uh, the results across the province. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, anyway, yeah, so I think so. I, I think so. I mean, you look at the um, at the kind of province-wide results, and I think the conservatives, the federal conservative vote went down about like fourteen percent across the province. And part of that was there, you know, there was a bit of lower ter- voter turnout. I don't think it was like as big. Like on election night, I thought the turnout was like significantly lower, but I don't. I have to look closer at the numbers. I don't think that the turnout was like. I don't think it dropped by four, by fourteen percent. Um, like I think a lot of conservatives stayed home. I think that you know the. I mean, the NDP vote went up by 7% provincially. Um, it went up considerably in some Edmonton ridings. There are some um, NDP candidates who doubled their vote from the last election. Um, I'm thinking like Edmonton Manning, um, even in a close race like Edmonton Center, where uh, you know I, I knew Heather McKenzie, the NDP candidate, was running a strong campaign. And you know she was a former public school board trustee. She ran there municipally once. She's got some name recognition. I knew she had a good campaign. Um, but that that seat has been traditionally a kind of a conservative liberal swing. And the NDP kind of always, you know, they've over the past three or four elections, they've really solidified kind of that like 20 to 30 percent voter base. Um, it's not like back when Ann McCullen was the MP where the NDP would sit around like five or 10 percent and they just all, all the new Democrats voted liberal to block the conservative. Like it's a real like, you know, what we saw in this election, it was a three way race in uh, in Edmonton Center. And I think. I think Heather McKenzie got around 28 or 29 percent, and then James Cumming, the conservative incumbent, got around 30, and then Randy Boissonneau, the liberal who eked it out, who to come back to back to Ottawa, um, uh, he uh, he won both like 31 or 32 percent. So it was a really it was a really close race. Yeah, it really was a close race. It was interesting to see that throughout the night too. I was kind of watching that as I was like, um, you know, uh, kind of to keep my eye on Blake's campaign, and like I wasn't expect. I mean, I wasn't expecting. A really close three-way race in in center. Although I know, you know, I think I think Catherine Swampy in 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 the last election got a little bit more than twenty percent. I might I might be wrong, mm-hmm. um, but like you know, it was so. I mean, but that was a significant bump, and I know they ran like a pretty strong campaign there. And from what I've heard, the um, you know central organizers and the central campaign within the NDP were sort of you know calling into that writing, saying, "Hey, what's going on?" It kind of you know feels good based on the marks that we're seeing, and it got stronger and stronger throughout. Um, I don't know if you want to get into it because we might disagree, but obviously there's a conversation to be had about strategic vote splitting and strategic voting arguments here for sure. But mm-hmm. like, I, like, do you have thoughts on that, Dave? I mean, like, uh, or do you, have you talked about this before? I, I just feel like it was just in the air, almost in like 338 ridings, regardless of whether it was a salient issue. Like, it seems like strategic voting is just, always there no matter what and in definitely in edmonton and calgary yeah. right like that was the conversation between liberals and ndp kind of switch voters um really interesting especially in a right and center when you had a genuine three-way result mm-hmm. even if it didn't feel like that given history so i don't know i'm curious what your thoughts are i i have 
a couple. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, like I get it. I know that people are like, you know, it's like you kind of have to meet people where they're at. And, you know, I even though in like, you know, Desjardins campaign, they were using like 338 numbers, which are like projections, mm-hmm. and actual polling results. Um, so, they, you know, disaggregate from national polls. And it's kind of like, mm, it's kind of, you know, maybe they shouldn't be, you know, used. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of people are using it. Um, I, I don't love it personally, because I feel like I want people to think that I'm smarter maybe than I am as a voter. So I'm like, oh, talk to me about your ideas. No, it's not about like what, what this fake poll says. But at the same time, if everyone's doing it, what do you do? Right? Like, how can you avoid the conversation, especially if it's on people's minds? Right. And I think in center, especially, yeah. um, you know, like I'd heard kind of, you know, obviously the liberal campaign was like out there pretty much day one saying like, please don't vote for the NDP. You're going to split the vote. We can defeat the conservatives here. Same thing was happening in like, you know, Grease Baugh, um, and other ridings as well, probably Mill Woods, you know, six or seven mm-hmm. in Alberta and then across the country. So anyway, that's kind of a bit of a rant about strategic voting, but I feel like it's kind of, it's just so in the air in federal elections, especially between the NDs and the liberals. Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, I think know. that's, I think especially here in Alberta where it's, you know, I mean, you know, the 2019, it was, uh, you know, it was only one, we only had one, one new Democrat and 33 conservatives elected. So, you know, that the, I mean, it happened. The strategic vote thing is not unique to Alberta, but I think it's. It feels more intense here. Like when you between, you know, discussion. I mean, between you know, because there's like you know, there's like liberals and New Democrats, and then there's like pro- people who identify that identify themselves as progressives, right? And you know, they kind of they're not party members. They'll they'll a lot of them feel comfortable voting for NDP or or liberal, depending on who looks who you know who looks like they might be able to beat the conservative. Um, so I think there's, I think there's, I think especially in Edmonton, there's a lot of kind of pragmatic, I want to call them pragmatic progressives who kind of float in between the two, depending on, 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 uh, you know, who looks like they're able to be, to beat the conservative. But um, in a case like Edmonton Center, I think that's really interesting because, uh, you know, Randy Boissonneau's message was, you know, progressive voters, if progressive voters unite behind me, you know, we can beat the conservative. Well, progressive voters didn't unite behind him. Um, you know, Randy Boissonneau won with 33%, with 32 or 33%, which I think is the same percentage he got in the last election when he lost. And he this time he won. So, like, you know, I mean, the message that that result sends to, to you know, to New Democrats who might, we will, might want to vote for a liberal in order to be a conservative is that you can vote for a New Democrat and, and actually elect a New Democrat in the center. Like, the, you know, because Heather McKenzie almost won. So, you know, I wonder going into the next election, whether how, how potent that message is going to be about whether, you know, whether the NDP is going to be able to hold on to that vote and whether it's going to, I mean, wildly, this is why I'm, you know, just, just, just hold on. I'm putting this wild, wild, wild idea out there, you know, in 2024, 2023 or 2022, or like in November, when we have the next federal election, <laughs> I don't know, whenever the Please. government falls, um, you know, you know, w- will we see a situation where Edmonton Center becomes a liberal NDP race? Like, that's kind of wild. Wow. Like, I mean, the evolution of Alberta politics are our, our, our <clears throat> urban centers. Um, I mean, not, not saying the conservative vote's going to dissolve, not saying the conservatives won't win at Edmonton Center again because they're competitive there. But like, you know, will we see a situation where you know, we, we have, we have urban ridings that take on more of an urban character and they become more of a race between the liberals and the NDP. Kind of like you see, you know, you'd see provincially in the past, like provincial ridings where you'd have the liberals and the NDP kind of competing for first and second. And I, I do wonder if like, 
a writing like center is kind of becoming that and and uh but that's you know that's speculation we'll see we'll see see what happens in in the next election i do think it was it, it was interesting that the federal ndp did focus on on edmonton i mean we had jagmeet singh visit edmonton twice during the campaign in the first week he spent a week i don't know pardon me the first week he spent an entire day campaigning at edmonton grease spot with blake dejola so like from the beginning you know the ndp saw that this was a target riding that they could, they could potentially pick up and then he came back uh the last week the weekend of the campaign the, the weekend before the election he came back and had a um a kind of one-on-one or, or like a group discussion with some health with uh, some nurses and healthcare workers outside the East Edmonton Health Center. Um, kind of made a stop on his, you know, on his way back to Burnaby uh, <laughs> and to and to and to Vancouver. So, I mean, I think that that that's interesting because most of the party leaders didn't spend much time here in Alberta. Um, Aaron O'Toole was here once for a morning in Edmonton um, during the first week of the campaign, and Justin Trudeau spent about two hours in Calgary. Um, with uh, with George Shahal at a at a campaign rally, which obviously paid off there because George Shahal was was elected in uh, in Calgary Skyview and will probably be a cabinet minister now. Um, but one of the things one of the things that you touched on, Brad, which I think is is interesting, worth noting, and I think a lot of people outside of Alberta didn't really catch on to how how meaningful this might be, is that you know Rachel Notley and Janice Irwin and many, you know, probably half a dozen or a dozen NDP MLAs were out door knocking and campaigning with Blake Desjardins, which is like the opposite of what happened in 2019 during the federal election, where the NDP were really on their heel, on the backs of their heels, and uh, trying not to be associated with with the federal NDP, and that almost exclusively had to do with the issue of, of oil pipe oil pipelines, which was not on the radar at all in this in this federal election. I didn't hear anybody in Alberta no. really about it. Like I heard the the UCP put out a bunch of kind of Instagram ads on the last day of the election, which I don't really know what they were trying. Like, I don't, it didn't really, it was probably like a null effect. Like, I don't think anybody was really paying attention to it, kind of attacking the, the, the federal NDP and the provincial NDP on pipelines. But like, I, it wasn't on the radar at all compared to uh, 2019, where it just like sucked up all of the oxygen. <clears throat> it's like the only issue that people would, would want to talk about in 2019. So I think that's significant. And I, I wonder about the kind of the, the mending of, you know, of, of at least, at least publicly the mending of the relationship between the federal NDP and the, and the provincial yep. NDP in Alberta. And I mean, when you look at the, the poll results or the, the provincial province wide results, the federal NDP got around 19% um, in Alberta, which I think is the, might be that might be a record high. Um, it's definitely higher than they got in 2011 when uh, during Jack Layton's uh, orange wave province wide. So, you know, so there's, there's, you know, there's room for them to build. It's it'd be interesting to see how much of that is like, I know Jagmeet Singh is, has, you know, his personal, personal popularity ratings are quite high, even in Alberta. Um, but I wonder how much of that has to do with Rachel Notley and, you know, people's people who, who like her. And I mean, especially, especially in Edmonton and, um, and the, uh, the plummeting popularity of the, of the United Conservative Party, which from what I've heard, and I, I've heard one conservative MP talk about this. Um, I think Michael Cooper commented that, um, that he heard a lot about it on the doors about, uh, about the, the Kenny government's uh, response to the COVID pandemic. Um, but like kind of the stuff I was hearing from conservative um campaigners during the election with a few few friends that I speak I talk with um they were saying that it was hard one of the biggest challenges they had was motivating volunteers and motivating supporters to yeah. uh, to, to go out and door knock and go to the polls and I mean I do wonder about like the impact of the UCP and the impact of, of how Jason Kenney has reacted to COVID um when it's like on the top of 
people, everybody's mind right now. And, you know, if you're a, if you're a conservative, that's great. But like, do you really want to be knocking on your neighbor's door and have to like try to explain or defend Jason Kenney? <laughs> um, no, no. Like, you, know, well, you just don't want to, right? Like, even if you're a loyal, you know, you're a loyal conservative voter, like you don't want to be, you know, a lot of cases, your neighbors are not happy, especially here in Edmonton. The Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you by ATB Cares. Looking for a way to give back? ATB Cares makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes they care about. Donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Albertan charities. To learn more and donate, visit atbcares.com. This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you by Bessie Box, delivering healthy, naturally raised meat and seafood right to your door. Bessie is a small team in Alberta that delivers local food straight from the farm to you. Choose from Alberta grass-fed and finished ground beef to sustainable Atlantic salmon from British Columbia. You can order on your schedule, whether it's a one-time order or a regular subscription, to your favorite Bessie Box. All conveniently flash-frozen and portioned, so you always have healthy meat and seafood ready to cook up a storm. Go to BessieBox.com to order yours now. Plus, APN listeners can use the promotion code APN10 to save 10% off your first order. That's code APN10. Enter it on checkout at BessieBox.com to save 10% off your first order. It's a really good point, Dave. Like, you don't want to defend the conservative record in Alberta on jobs, on the economy, on pipelines, and certainly not COVID and public health response, right? So, like, what what is there to talk about, right? Like, I mean, like, you know, Biden, Biden, uh, you know, is not going to let uh, Keystone happen. Um, we haven't been able to make headway on any other, you know, energy infrastructure in a significant way. Um, and so, you know, can't really talk about pipelines. Our jobs record is is not good in Alberta. I mean, like, unfortunately, uh, you know, the economy hasn't rebounded as Jason Kenney kind of promised out of, you know, thin air. Um, it's going to be, you know, a wave of magic wand, elect conservatives, and we're going to turn the economy around. And then, you know, so, and, the, and then you have a pandemic and they've, you know, it's got, we're in the New York Times, The Guardian. It's like international shame right now, you know, like, and I, I don't want to get too, you know, emotional, like I, I usually do, but like, Dave, like when I watched Dwayne Bratt on power, was it power and politics the other day? Did you see mm-hmm. him on? on no, I saw, I saw the clip online. Yeah. I, I watched it and I was like, you know, usually, you know, I, I always really like what, what Dwayne has to say. And I think he's a really intelligent guy and he's been doing this for a long time in Alberta, but I've never seen him be that raw. And mm-hmm. we've seen that from, you know, like basically he was like, like, you know, I'm, he, what do he say? He was like, at the end of it, he was like, you know, I understand politics and there's political machinations like take care of so that you can like, you know, govern effectively. I get that. I'm a political scientist, but I'm also an Albertan and I'm a human being. And it was really raw. And I, we've seen that from uh, commentators, you know, uh, for the past several weeks, people who are just kind of at their wits end, kind of watching what's going on. And we've seen a lot of tough moments in political history here in Alberta over the years, especially people who have been around for a long time. But it, this is different. And so I think if you're a conservative, um, you know, running in Alberta, it was like a total lodestone on their neck to be, you know, tied to Kenny and they can, couldn't help but be. And that really, I think, I think that really helped, um, you know, other, other parties and candidates be like, you know, 
Yeah, like I mean, and we saw Trudeau and and Jagmeet take advantage of that as well. Like when they came to Alberta, they would talk about Kenny's record, and so that's why Kenny obviously was nowhere to be found until he had to be because our healthcare system was in like literal crisis. Um, and so you know they they obviously wanted to go silent, completely dark until after the election, but they couldn't make it through. Um, and um, yeah, I just think it made it really hard to be a conservative in Alberta, which is you know a good thing if you're a liberal or or an NT. Definitely on the front of like, I, I wonder, like, it's kind of interesting seeing new Democrat MLAs come out for Blake. I mean, part of that is just like, he's a hard guy not to want to be around, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's just really exciting. His campaign had that energy. Um, but obviously there would have been conversations at caucus being like, you know, is this okay, Rachel? Um, I think something along those lines. Um, and it was okay. She was out there door knocking as well at the end of it, right? For mm-hmm. like, I think in the last 10 days, at least once. Um, and, you know, part of that is, I think, being in opposition, the stakes aren't as high when you're like not negotiating, you know, interjurisdiction or, you know, whatever, uh, BC kind of like pipeline agreements um, quietly, um, you're not governing, right? The stakes are a little bit different. But I do think that, um, yeah, I do think, you know, there are conversations happening between the federal party and have been for a long time and the provincial party about mending those those fences, despite the fact that there are still people that, you, you know, you and I listen to and talk to saying like, the provincial NDP should sever ties with the federal NDP once and for all. I, I, I don't see it trending in that direction, given what we've seen. And it was just one small example, seeing those MLAs out for Blake uh, as much as they were for sure. Um, that's just me, you know, from the outside looking in, of course, I, you know, obviously there are still always tensions within families um, and uh, we always have those family feuds, but it did seem like there was a lot more sort of, you know, um, collaboration happening and support from the provincial NDP, the federal NDP, at least in Blake's riding. So that's interesting to see, um, you know, and then I, yeah, I mean, like, we'll see, I'm pretty interested to see if we get any kind of like government representation for Edmonton. I know I've seen, um, you know, Don Iveson talk about that. And uh, now with one, you know, one MP again, um, we'll see what happens there. I don't know. I don't know what to expect because I, I just, you know, uh, I mean, it kind of seems like a no brainer, at least like one of the two would mm-hmm. would have to like Alberta has got to be there somewhere, mm-hmm. whether it's Calgary or Edmonton, but I'd love to see some representation for Edmonton, obviously around the cabinet table, but we'll see what happens there. So I think that's another thing to kind of keep an eye on too, you know? Yeah, for but, sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's likely that, I mean, between George Shahal and Randy Boissonneau, that one of the, one of them will be appointed as a full cabinet minister. And I mean, if, if, if not both of them, then, then, um, you know, maybe one of them will become a parliamentary secretary or some kind of some kind of position because I think it's hard for, you know, it's going to be hard for the um, hard for for Prime Minister Trudeau not to appoint uh, more not to appoint representation from Alberta when they haven't had an MP from Alberta since 2019, right? Since I mean, I think Emmerjeet Sohi was the uh, was the last um, or the last previous uh, Liberal cabinet minister from Alberta. So, you know, it's it's kind of a uh, um, a second chance for Justin Trudeau in a way to you know to to make inroads or, you know, solidify, at least solidify a beachhead and, and representation in, in, uh, in Alberta. Um, and it is kind of wild. Like, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the, the, you know, these, these races, but it is kind of wild when you think about like going back to the first week of the federal election. And, you know, like I, I wrote, you know, at the beginning of every election, I kind of look at the, look at the map and I look at the seats and I track candidates. I'm looking like what races are actually competitive. And, you know, in Alberta, it's kind of always the same five or six seats that are competitive. You got like Edmonton center, uh, Edmonton Greasebaugh, Edmonton Mill Woods, Calgary Center, Calgary Skyview, and Baby Calgary Confederation. But it's kind of like a mix of like those th- those like five or six seats. Um, and then you know there's 30 or 29 seats that are solid conservative, probably 
And then there's one solid NDP seat in Edmonton, South Kona. Um, but like at the beginning of the campaign, you know, I thought, well, you know, the NDP seem to think they can, they might have a, might have a chance of picking up Grease Ball and they're putting some resources into it. Maybe they're looking at building for the next election. And, you know, and, you know, Randy Boston is running again in center and, you know, he's, he's well known. He's going to run a real campaign. He was the MP. Um, maybe, you know, and then Calgary was just like, ah, uh, I don't know. It's Calgary. They're probably all going to just going to vote, just going to vote conservative anyway. Um, yeah. And then it ended up being, there was, there ended up being, well now four, so three seats that went, uh, that, uh, that, that switched hands to the, uh, to the, the non-conservative parties. So, you know, and that's not a lot for like, you know, for other provinces that are used to, you know, or potentially, you know, can see big swings. That's, you know, that may be a little something, you know, not sound like much, but for Alberta, that's a big deal, especially in this election where, you know, nationally the liberal vote wasn't fantastic and they were still able to, uh, to win a couple seats here, uh, here in Alberta. And same with, same with the NDP were able to, even though the, neither party really like increased their, their seat count by much, like it, yeah, I think I was looking at the numbers from the last election compared to this election. And like, I think the NDP have one more seat than they did before. And the liberals have one more seat. And like, there's a couple seats, you know, there's like 20 seats out of 338 that have actually, that actually changed hands between parties. So um, it's, it's exciting that, uh, that at least three of those seats were, were here in Alberta. Um, so we talked a little bit about the, uh, you know, the, the impact of the provincial election or the impact of the provincial, provincial parties on this federal election. Um, let's, uh, Let's talk about what what's actually happening in provincial politics in uh, in Alberta. Um, you know, it uh, Jason Kenney on vacation comes back, makes an announcement or two, then kind of disappears until he you know absolutely can't ha- cannot you know stay out of public sight anymore because the ICUs are filling up and the hospitals are filling up and COVID cases are skyrocketing, and he makes this announcement. Uh, introducing p- new public health restrictions or reimposing public health restrictions, um, you know, days before the federal election, implements a uh, the not a vaccine passport, vaccine passport. Um, his party is not happy with him to begin with. His popularity has been plummeting for well for at least the past year or longer. Um, his uh, his party's doing very poor in the fundraising uh, fundraising uh, uh, category. Uh, they're down in the polls. I think ever, I think there's been like eight or nine polls that have or public polls that have come out since last November, and I think all of them have the NDP ahead and the UCP in second. Um, so he's facing uh, challenges in his caucus, and there's a uh, you know it looks like there's a caucus revolt brewing, and and uh, and he seems to uh, outmaneuver them. What do you think? I remember when we talked in May or June of of 2019 i think it was june um and 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 i was kind of like i felt embarrassed afterwards because i think i was like saying something like i think kenny bit off more than he he could chew or like you know his his tent is too big there's too many people inside of it and too many different groups to keep them all happy for long mm-hmm. and then afterwards i was like mm, no he just seems like such a shrewd um politician and, and we haven't seen the likes of of him um as a conservative anyway in terms of like just his natural kind of gifts is like maybe since like Klein or something and I I really second guess myself and um and I think we're kind of seeing that maybe come home to roost now in a way where I just don't know how he can continue to outrun the the challenges that are that are coming at him for for much longer um 
let's not forget. I mean, they, they so when they introduced the not vaccine vaccine passport, two days later or a couple of days later, the party was fundraising on never introducing a vaccine passport or a couple of days before. Mm-hmm. So like they're, they're talking not like out, out of like, you know, five sides of their mouth at the same time, because there's just so many different kind of fires to put out and, and, and different groups to keep, try to keep happy, or at least not, you know, burning the house down. Um, I, I think that he, I, I, you know, I, I don't like to make predictions in politics because Alberta is pretty wild place um, at the best of times when it comes to it. But I just don't see him being able to survive for much longer, Dave. Like, I, I think, I think maybe he, I think maybe he manages to survive a leadership review um, when it comes up because, uh, you know, he, um, he has, I, I, in a way kind of ca- called his caucus's bluff, um, but with very kind of like minimal support like mm-hmm. not the 77% that, you know, read for God and then, you know, kind of crash and burn very shortly after, but like lower than that. Um, and we'll never know probably what the result is. I'm not sure. Um, or, and this is an interesting theory. I've, I've been talking to some, you know, some folks who are, you know, watching more closely and smarter than I am about this kind of stuff and that maybe he just pulls the trigger on a spring election. And he thinks, well, you know, I'm not going to go out on your terms. And if I'm going to lose anyway, I'll roll the dice in an election. And at least, you know, not that he wants to necessarily take the people down with him, but I don't think he's really shown any sort of interest in, you know, loyalty to the party or the caucus or the, the movement per se. I think he's really interested in, in his, his own career personally without ever having met the man. And so like, I wouldn't be surprised maybe if we see an election in the spring, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, yeah, I have mm-hmm. no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I don't like, I just, to answer your question though, Dave, like I just don't see how, like, I don't know how many more cards he has left to play. You know, like, it's just like, how do you go from saying we're open for summer, we're open forever, COVID is ending, you know, face it, whatever one of the mats said on Twitter mm-hmm. about I think that. it was the Matt. It was, yeah, it was the arch Matt. That's right. It was the <laughs> Matt who hasn't tweeted in like six weeks or something like that. He's kind of, anyway. Um, That's Matt, yeah, Matt, uh, Matt Wolf, uh, director of the, uh, of the Premier's Issues Management, Management Office for, for listeners who, uh, who aren't on Twitter. Thank Who am I kidding? Everybody's on Twitter. Who listens? Matt, to this? Matt, Matt Wolf, <laughs> the, the the man. But so and 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 yet, you know, here we are. You know, like I don't want to make light of this, but like you know, like it's just like it's it's um it's almost surreal uh, to imagine you know going from the premier of the province, the leader of the province, saying that a few short weeks ago, to now having the experience of surgeries being canceled in you know, hospitals across the province and us getting federal and, and you know, provincial support to relieve the burden on our healthcare system. I, I, I'm in a, I'm in a couple conversations with like organizers and activists in, in the healthcare community um, uh, who are, you know, like protect Alberta or, or protect our province and, and other mm-hmm. sort of, you know, activists and grassroots who are like, the, the stories that they're sharing right now are like just actually horrifying we've all kind of heard it now for the past few weeks but then to have a premier sort of like as you say basically go away and when he does stand up he you know says sorry but no sorry not sorry um and you know i was hoping for better but that's not a strategy like it's just not i'm sorry it's not fucking good enough like for Mm -hmm. anybody anymore and i think his caucus is starting to just you know not starting to but they've had you know those tough meetings over the past couple weeks internally and we saw leela here come out publicly and a few others say like you know including the VP of policy or something saying like enough is enough. I used to be a strong supporter, but you know, he's not fit to lead anymore. And so, I mean, 
I I don't see how he can survive for much longer, and I don't think he should for the for the good of the province and the healthcare system. It's it's just too much. You know? mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, yeah. No, there's there's no doubt. It's it's. Uh, I mean, it's an absolute failure of leadership on Jason Kenney's part um, that that he wasn't actively that, that well that that he actively did nothing as the situation clearly got worse. And I mean, it you know it wasn't. Everybody was watching what was going on. Everybody's watching the number, the, the case numbers go up. Everybody's watching the hospitalization numbers go up. And it was, you know, and after spending a summer of, um, you know, attacking and demonizing and 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 uh, and devaluing the work of um, public health professionals and doctors and medical professionals who were raising these red flags and saying, if we remove all restrictions, this will come back. In a you know in a fourth wave that would be worse than what we've seen before in terms of hospitalizations, and they were saying this back in July and August, and and uh, you know I mean Premier Kenny and his staff were out, and his party was selling you know best uh, best Alberta summer ever 2021 baseball caps uh, on the uh, on the on the backs of this idea that uh, that COVID was over, and it clearly wasn't because you know they didn't you know they weren't heeding what 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 seemed obvious to everybody, and you know like I say I, I admit at the time like. When, when they declared, you know, that Alberta was open for the summer. And like, I, I, I hoped that was true. I did. Mm-hmm. I hope, you know, mm-hmm. this is optimistic. And you know what? I want to be optimistic because I want this to be over just like everybody else does. Um, but it was, they were just so cavalier with it. And I mean, I said, I've written this before and, and, you know, I said that it was all, and I, I hear Kenny's kind of used, kind of used this line a bit. So maybe he, maybe he's listened the movie, he listens to the podcast. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh you know, it was all optimism that COVID was over, but it was none of included none of the vigilance to actually make make sure that it actually was over, right? So, you know, we reached this kind of artificial barrier where enough people were vaccinated for the Calgary Stampede to, to open and for all restrictions to be lifted, and uh, you know, it, it it was a gamble, it was ill advised, and uh, and it didn't pay off. And you know, there are hundreds of Albertans who are who are dead because of that. And you know, I don't say that lightly. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it was, it was an absolute failure of leadership and it's just, it's, it's really, um, frustrating to watch the UCP caucus kind of fumble over themselves trying to deal with this leadership issue. And it's, it seems to be very clear that Kenny is the, you know, in terms of political tactics and strategy, he's probably miles ahead of most of whatever, or whatever organized or unorganized group is, 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 uh, is, uh, is, um, challenging him in caucus. And it feels like it's an unorganized group. Um, I mean, the, you know, we, we hear what happened in the caucus meeting this week when um, I think it was R.J. Sigurdsson, who's a MLA from Southern Alberta, um, is, is said to have tabled a motion of non-confidence uh, in, in the premier's leadership. And uh, he then withdrew it when it was decided or was figured out that they couldn't have a vote anonymously. Well, you know, like, why does it have to be anonymous? If you really believe this, stand up, because, you know, there's a lot of Albertans and a lot of conservatives and UCP voters who are... Uh, who, you know, who want them to figure this out. So it's going to go to a, a leadership review in the spring. And I mean, I think that was, you know, this was probably Jason Kenney once again outmaneuvering, you know, this mm-hmm. opposition in, in the caucus and in the party. And, you know, they've given him, they've given him a longer leash um, and, uh, and he's, you know, probably going to hang them for it because he'll, he'll, you know, he's, he's no dummy. He's uh you know, he's a, he's a political operator that is literally, his career. He's a career politician. And, uh, you know, maybe he won't survive then. I mean, I was, I, but, but it seems like they've, they've just given him an opportunity to, uh, to kind of outmaneuver them once again. And, um, I think back to like, I tweeted about this a couple days ago, back in 2014. So it would have been like March 24, I think it was March 2014. Um, there was a very tense 
caucus, progressive conservative caucus meeting out at government house. And this is right when it was like at the height of all of the Alison Redford scandals. And, you know, the government was basically like blowing itself apart Mm -hmm. um, at the time. And there was a caucus meeting and there was rumors that there was going to be a coup or, you know, a revolt in the caucus. And they were going to, you know, basically do something similar and have a non-confidence vote or a whole bunch of MLAs were going to walk and they all walk out of the meeting and they're all smiling and happy and clearly like totally making, you know, clearly, totally, it's totally a show, right? Cause you know, you could tell they were probably yelling at each other at a certain point. Um, but uh, you know, saying that we're more united than ever and whatnot. And then 10 days later, Alison Redford resigned as premier. So, you know, we could see, <laughs> we could see something like that where, you know, things just escalate so quickly internally um, uh, that, uh, that the premier's, you know, basically forced to resign if, if, if there are MLAs who decide to leave. But I just, I don't think, uh, you know, I mean, Jason Kenney won't go, won't go down with a, with a, won't go down without a fight. He is a, uh, you know, yeah. inter, you know, he knows, he understands the internal party politics. He is a survivor of internal party politics. Um, so it'll be very, it'll be very interesting. And um, I mean, the longer he stays on, um, I mean, I guess the better for the opposition, better for the NDP, because he's certainly their like their number one fundraising, uh, um, weapon, I should say. We were t- when we were chatting the other day. It was like f- three quarters. The NDP has out fundraised the UCP, and it's yeah. um, I, it has it been widening every quarter. Like I mean, it's 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 pretty impressive, regardless. Um, their results, and he is just the the perfect target for the opposition. Um, and it, I think it's worth. I think it's definitely worth noting that, um, the opposition has a, a leader in Rachel Notley who has been saying now for, um, you know, time is weird during COVID, but, you know, going on two years, um, I'm, I'm the leader of the NDP. I plan on being the leader of the NDP going into the next election. I'm going to be running for premier again. Um, and the stability within that sort of, you know, that caucus coming from that, that leadership um, with a very clear message that she's ready to step back into the role of premier if she's you know if she's given the opportunity i think is a really strong one in the context especially like now with all of this chaos brewing it's really hard not to to notice even if you're trying to ignore us ignore all the the horror that comes from the ucp party and caucus it's just very clear that it's um it, it, it's kind of a rudderless ship and so in contrast to that having an opposition that at least appears well organized uh you know like you and i have worked in and around politics for a long time it's always chaotic but to have mm-hmm. a leader who you know has a strong team um they're nominating candidates in calgary um and edmonton across the province or you know getting there um and also saying you know i'm ready to become premier again i think is a good place for them to be in and then the fundraising you know really kind of at the end of the day we can talk all we want until we're blue in the face about you know our speculation about what may or may not be happening but you know, the, the money doesn't lie and um, they're, they're just, their fundraising machine is, is utterly broken in the UCP. It's mm-hmm. just, they they must be very, very, very stressed about that. I don't care what Brad Tennant or anybody else says um, in that party. Um, that's not a good, that's not a good sign for them going on a year of getting beat by the NDP. Um, and beat like substantially, like I think the last quarter, if I recall correctly, the NDP raised like 1.5 million and the UCP, like, I think they barely got five or 600,000. Like it was really, the gap was massive. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's, you know, when, when I think about, you know, will they call an early election? Would Kenny call an early election? I mean, I don't know that they, I mean, I don't think they have the money to run an election maybe. at this point. Um, maybe, like you're, maybe you're right. Like, you know, I mean, I mean, if I'm a, 
if I'm a UCP MLA in Calgary looking, you know, hoping to, you know, have a political career and I'm, you know, I'm looking at the polls and I'm looking at the fundraising numbers. I'm thinking like, you know, this isn't, this isn't fantastic. Um, you know, and we'll see. I mean, if, you know, a lot, a lot can change. I mean, it's funny cause it's like, you know, a year and a half till the next election, um, a year and a half, you know, you could say a year and a half is eternity, an eternity in politics, but it also really isn't like it's, you know, a year and a half will go by quick. And, uh, um, I mean, I think Jason Kenney has obviously has less than a year and a half to kind of turn this ship around for himself before, uh, before he has to, uh, you know, face, uh, face a, well, face a leadership race or face a leadership, uh, leadership review at least. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a long time, but it's, it's, it's also not when it comes to sort of the, the NDP and the UCP thinking about um, what the what the major question of the campaign is going to be. And I think whether or not we're living in COVID, like even in the federal election, you know, you saw, I think you saw the liberal campaign personally, like I was watching it and thinking like, hmm, they really sort of tried to situate it in sort of like, you know, who who's best to sort of lead us out of, you know, the ending of and the, the kind of, you know, after mm-hmm. um, period of COVID. And that was, you know, um, maybe a little bit of an overswing or over focus on that on that 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 question um but and i agree like i mean even if it's like in the spring or if it's 2023 between april and june or whatever it's supposed to be for a provincial election that regardless of whether or not it's a covid leadership question i think it's going to be a leadership question like it's going to be like who do you want whether it's a public health crisis or the future of the economy even though people have concerns especially in calgary about the ndp's you know um, approach to the economy i think generally mm-hmm. speaking that's a that's a hurdle for them as a brand um it will come down to different versions of the question of like what kind of what kind of leader do you want and i think i think it's very fair to say that kenny has failed every single version of that question that people have you know been asking basically since he's been elected but especially during covid and whether or not we're living kind of you know in our bubbles like we are right now and worrying about our kids going to school, the leadership question is going to be really salient, I think, in the next election, whenever it will will be. So, um, you know, that's that's not a bad thing for Rachel Notley, I don't think at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's a it's a good uh, it's a good position for for the uh, for the NDP to be uh, to be in going into a, going into a provincial election, whether it be in uh, in spring 2023 or uh, or spring 2022. Yeah, for sure. We, we um we, before we wrap up, but like you were at our you were at Public Interest Alberta's AGM keynote, and one of the things that the speaker said there was that, um, and he's written about this before too. So who was the speaker be... for 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 listeners? Who was the speaker? Oh, thanks, Dave. Yeah, I always need these prompts, right? Like, yeah, everyone was there. <laughs> we were all talking. Um, thank you. His name was Yanis Varoufakis, and he was a former Greek finance minister, and he's still an MP in the in the Greek Parliament, um, with a new party now. Um, he's a best-selling author and a world-renowned economist. He's worked in Australia, Austin, Texas, um, um, London, and now is at the University of Athens. Um, and he's just a really charismatic, brilliant guy, right? Started out in game theory, has had a few like good, interesting like fights over the years with like Noam Chomsky or like you know healthy debates, and um, then got into politics, was kind of thrust into it. And when we were talking, I was like, you know, it's interesting. You kind of got thrust or pulled into politics, and he's like, that's how I think it should be. Um, I think people should be forced to be elected. Um, you know, you have to have competencies and, you know, mm-hmm. and interests or like, you know, show that you can do the job, but you shouldn't ever want the job. And so he has this whole theory about, you know, it should be like the night watch, right? Like it's very dangerous. It's hard work and uh, it's not, it's not fun. 
And so um, their party, Mera, um, which is the Greek version of the European party they started several years ago, so getting into a rant now, but I'm very excited about it because one of their propositions, and it's kind of wild for a Canadian political context, is that a portion of the seats should be um, lotteries. Um, you know, and I'm not sure how you determine who can be part of the lottery, but like to to get a seat in the parliament or, you know, um, you should um, you should have to win a lottery. Not all of them, but some of them. And that nobody who wants it should ever should ever get elected. It was funny because I know we had Janice Irwin in the room, too. Um, and a few, <laughs> maybe a few other politicians who are doing amazing work. Um, um, but yeah, it was an uh, interesting idea. Pretty radical. That's a, that, that, that is a, that's really, that, that's really interesting. And yeah, it was a, it was a really, a, it was an interesting talk from, um, from, from Yanis, um, you know, back in, uh, back in, uh, oh God, it must've been the early 2000s. I did a uh, model parliament, um, the U of A model, U, U of A model parliament, you know, nerdy university uh, age Dave. Um, and uh, one of the bills that my, my friends and I uh, tabled in our model parliament was a uh, Senate by lottery. Nice. Um, so, you know, instead of having appointed senators or elected senators, you know, you'd get drawn for Senate duty and it'd be like a jury duty thing. You know, people would get something in the mail saying, oh, I got Senate duty. Jeez. You know, and it'd be like for a year or two years or whatever. And, you know, he'd have to go to Ottawa and be a be a senator. So I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's definitely an idea, you know, look, we're, we're worth looking into. And uh, yeah. I'd be interested <clears throat> if our listeners have any uh, any any thoughts on that. That's a uh, that's that's a good one. Um Thanks so much for joining us today, Brad. This has been uh, an awesome discussion. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here and uh, hope everybody votes in the municipal election, which is oh, just yeah. around the corner. Yeah, do you have any, uh, thir 30 seconds, do you have any uh, anything to say about the municipal election? Oh, 30 seconds or less, municipal election, really important. Voter, voter turnout should be higher than 30-some percent, uh, I hope. And uh, just get involved. There's so many organizations doing really good work. Um, want to shout out, uh, you know, like intersectional YG or Edmonton, who's doing really good work talking about, you know, women candidates in the election. Um, there's other third party, Public Interest Alberta is doing a bit of a survey and, and interviews with candidates as well, but get informed, get engaged. And it's, it, I would say like my personal take is that it's a very healthily competitive field in some really interesting ward races in Edmonton and Calgary anyway, where I'm paying attention. And I think that's a great thing. So yeah, I'm super excited. How about you? Yeah, I'm 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 excited. I'm living. I live in uh, in Ward Métis in uh, in the new city council ward in Edmonton, and we have like twelve or thirteen candidates. So it's it's the biggest race in the city, and uh, so that's going to be uh, it'll be very interesting to see how how things turn out. And then the mayoral election will be uh, will be uh, will be quite interesting to see how that that turn out. We had um, in our last season uh, in probably like May or June, we had uh, Amarjeet Sohi join us on the pod as a guest to talk about his vision as. Uh, for uh for edmonton as uh as he's running in the mayoral election so check that out if you haven't listened to it i'll put a link on the uh uh for uh for anyone who hasn't listened to it i'll put a link on the on the show notes so that was great thanks to everyone who listened and uh everyone, everyone who subscribes to the day Berta podcast and, and joined us this week and uh of course a huge thanks to to brad lafortune uh for for joining us i'll put a link to his uh his twitter account where you can uh you can follow his wise musings on uh, on Twitter and uh, and uh, and uh, a link to Public Interest Alberta, um, so you can find out more. Um, a huge thanks to our producer Adam Rosenhart for making this podcast sound so great every time. Thank you, Adam. You're awesome. Uh, the Dayberta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown and community supported. Send us your feedback on Twitter and on Instagram. 
uh, at at dayberta. You can find us on Facebook, or you can just send us an old-fashioned email at podcast at dayberta.ca. And I forgot to note, the last episode, I asked you to send in your what ifs for uh, for Alberta politics, and uh, and I got a little, I got a, a great a great list of of what ifs. We haven't had a chance to cover it this week, but we'll we'll talk about it next week, where we hopefully have a chance to uh, talk about municipal election and the Senate election and the equalization referendum and the daylight savings time referendum. Maybe that'll come uh, come in the next our next episode. So, thank you so much for listening. Have a great one. <laughs>